When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your host, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and today I, I've i been looking forward to this chat, I think since the last time I talked with you, uh, but I am talking with Sports Info Solutions' Nathan Cooper, uh, kind of hoping to pick his brain on just about all things draft. Uh I want to start this off by saying that thank you, first of all. Your guys' work last year, the Football Rookie Handbook, was the resource that I kept going back to. Basically, anytime the Broncos were signing undrafted guys, I went and looked to see if they were in there. Anytime like they picked, picked a player, I was looking there to double-check. It, it was one of those things that like it served to me as a, a resource to double-check to see if I was in the ballpark on guys because I trust your guys' scouting eye. And... Not only that, but like when the Broncos hired their new coaches, I went back and looked here, you know, after the year to see what that might mean for the scheme in terms of like moving to the Packers blocking scheme. Um, and then I double checked it with like kneel down the website with PFF, stuff like that. But but I love it. Um, I I am uh, anxiously waiting for you guys because you said uh, you guys are actually moving to a website now. Uh, so can you tell me more about that? Because I'm anxiously waiting for it. Yeah. Uh, you know, first off, uh, appreciate you having me back on. Definitely enjoy our talks. Uh, and yeah, I think last time we talked, we were talking about the Broncos schedule last year. So it's been a little while, but um, yeah, definitely glad, glad to be back on and uh, talking about the the website a little bit. So yeah, we're moving a little way away from 
a, a book and trying to become a little bit more modern. Uh, you know, the last three years we, we've had the book. Um, it's been great I, and definitely appreciate your, um, you know, you, uh, you know, pushing for it and, and reading it and, and keep going back to it and stuff. And that's sort of what we what we do, uh, you know, it for, you know, originally anyway. So try to do that. Try to make make everybody who's reading it basically their own GM. They, you know, you're the GM. You can look at the, uh, the scattering reports. You can look at the stats. You can see a little bit of everything. But, uh, yeah, moving to a website, hoping that it was going to be out, uh, you know, last week and in time for this talk. Um, but we're, we're fixing some bugs, working through a few things. Um, and honestly, it can be out at any point. Uh, you know, it could drop uh, at any minute at this point uh, tonight, tomorrow. Um, but we're, we're working on some things. Uh, and it, I, it's basically going to be what the handbook was just in website form. Um, right now, you know, still tons of scattering reports in there. Right now we have 360 scattering reports in there. Nice. Still, still counting uh, and still working on those. That's the, the great thing about a website now is we're not, we don't have a hard number. We can keep going all the way until the draft if we need to. Um, so that's, that's going well. Um, and, you know, looking at the leaderboards, we have even more leaderboards in there. So, you know, now we have a little bit more room. We can toss a little bit more stuff in there. The leaderboards are coming along great. The team pages, I think a lot of people really enjoy the team pages. And one of the, the really cool things is something that we have, SIS Sonar, which is basically an interactive uh, depth chart essentially. So you're going to be able to click on a certain position and see how that position stacks up in terms of like, hey, is this a, you know, a, a position who the team is looking, you know, in good shape, or is this a, a position that they need to upgrade? Um, so that's a little interactive. It ties in with our depth charts. We keep those up to date uh, and it sort of works in like, you know, all right, if they sign a player, happy, are we looking uh, good in that position or do we still need to draft somebody? So you have that. And then sort of the, one of the last things too, um, we've never done a big board before. This is going to be our first uh, true big board. We're sort, we're sort of calling it uh, the SIS 101. So it'll be the top 101 players um, in, in our uh, estimation, uh, you know, in the draft. And basically the rest of the guys will all be stacked up in their their own positional rankings. But um, that's sort of everything, you know, in into a website form. It's still going to house a bunch of NFL draft articles and content uh, and all that stuff uh, as well. But um, anxiously awaiting. Uh, I'm, I'm with you there and, and hoping that it's going to drop soon. One of the things that, and one of the reasons why I am on top of everything else, why I'm so anxious for this year too, is the Russell Wilson trade, obviously. And again, like I have no regrets. Like I'm glad that that happened. Uh, but in terms of like, for, for me personally, from like a draft perspective, it totally threw me. Uh, I was looking at players for nine and now all of yep. a sudden the Broncos don't pick until 64 <laughs> And this isn't an issue for you guys. Like, again, like I going again, anyone listening, go back to the book. You'll see this. You guys go in depth on players all the way down. Like I was finding players that are UDFAs and still like learning a lot, but a lot of draft content out there. You, you see the guys in the first round, you see guys like fringe top 50. And then after that, it's like, you get like a blurb. You'll be like, yeah, this guy might be good. And I'm like, oh, all right, cool. Well, I probably could have figured that out, but thanks. Uh, so like you're kind of wanting right now, especially like TV coverage right now for the draft for the Broncos is kind of useless. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, so like th there is like kind of a gap where I think a lot of Broncos fans are kind of stuck in this period where we're not in free agency yet, but the draft coverage isn't really giving them a lot of like real insight into what might make sense at 64. If the Broncos even stay at 64. Uh, so, so this kind of like, Fans don't really know what to do. I'm getting that impression, at least from my mentions. 
uh, I've been doing mock drafts here and there just to like throw, you know, guys that might be possibilities out. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people that respond are like, Oh, these guys all look like backups. It's like, guys, you, do you, do you realize what happens usually on day three or so? So, so that's another reason why I had to have you on. I had to kind of pick your brain because you have gone through all this. Like you understand upward backwards. And again, I trust your eye more than anybody. So I, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I am really stoked to pick your brain. Yeah, absolutely. Always, always enjoy being here. And, and yeah, I mean, that's one of the cool things that we try to do is we try to put as many players out there as possible. You know, it's, there's 250 or so guys that get drafted, but there's always guys at, you know, those UDFAs that are always going to get picked up. Uh, and you never know, you know, when one of those guys is going to get picked up, maybe it's two years down the road. So, you know, for me, yeah, a lot of teams probably only have 150 guys on their draft board, but when, whenever you're looking at, trying to give out draft content for every single team, you kind of have to cast a wide net. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I feel like we do a pretty good job with that. And over the last three years with the book, you know, each year we got more and more players in there and I'm, I'm I'm hoping to get to 400 this year. So we're going to have a ton of guys in there. And I mean, that sort of helps too with the, the year that we're, uh, you know, in, in terms of the COVID year, essentially Um, a lot of extra players are going to be in the draft class. Uh, so there, there's there's a lot of talent. We'll, we'll dive into it here uh, shortly, but there's a lot of talent in this class. I'm glad you mentioned it. And I just I want to say this just before we kind of dive in, because I always do this. I always forget if you guys don't already follow Nathan on Twitter, go do it. He is at and coop draft. Go do it, because, uh, again, I get a lot of your stuff uh, a couple like earlier this year, like shortly bef- like you and I talked about it on the schedule thing, but you. SIS did like a draft, like an expansion draft way mm-hmm. back when I loved it. And I would not have like been able to see the actual drop unless I was following you guys on Twitter. And so again, guys go do that. Um, I, so you mentioned the COVID draft. I want to kind of touch there because a lot of debate is going on right now that this draft is not as good as last year's. And I think a lot of that, and again, tell me if I'm wrong. Cause like, these are my, you know, my interpretations of it. My understanding is a lot of it's just based around the fact that like the very top of this draft may not have like a, a, a Bosa or a Chase Young. And then the quarterback class is pretty wanting. Mm-hmm. I am very, let, let me just say, I am, first of all, it is weird to me that I am not paying attention to the quarterback class anymore. I am very no. relieved that I don't have to pay attention to the quarterback class anymore. Uh, but I'm still kind of getting used to it. But, but overall though, I've heard more than one person say that like the depth of this draft is pretty good. And I know last year you and I had touched on the idea that because of COVID guys coming back, this draft would have some players that didn't come out last year. So the depth of this draft theoretically should be really good, right? Yeah, absolutely. And whenever we, we grade guys, we look at that seven O grade and above as being like a, a blue chip type of, of player. We only have three players this year. And those are guys that are right on seven O. So usually we've got guys that, you know, have that seven, one, seven, two, seven, three type of grade and, and maybe five, six or seven of those guys. We only have three this year. Um, there's a lot of, of guys in that high end starter range, that six, seven to six, nine range. Um, but I think the bulk of this class is really going to be on day two. Um, there's a lot of good talent on day two. And then, yeah, like you said, with with how many guys that have come back, this is the year to have a lot of picks because then you're going to have a, a lot of chances at trying to get some of those guys. And then this is a year too that a lot of guys are going to try and, and really get after some UDFAs after the draft. I think there's going to be a lot of options. And, you know, how many of those guys are going to be able to come in and, and maybe unseat uh, some of the guys already on the roster? Obviously, that's that's to be determined. But I think there's a lot of depth 
overall at a lot of different positions and just the drafting, you know, overall um, that there's just, there's a lot of players. It's, it's just, there's so many players in this draft. It's um, it, there's just a lot of talent that's going to be out there. And, and, and I know for fans, like there's been kind of at the owners meetings this week, there's been a bit of a buzz because George Payton, when he was interviewed, mentioned that there is a possibility they're going to try and trade up. But during three different interviews, and I listen to all of them, I don't know why, but during all of them, he mentioned that ideally he would like to have 10 picks. Uh, and so the Broncos do not currently have 10 picks. So if they're going to try and get 10 picks, they're going to trade down I, that or trade a player. And I think more, more realistically, they could potentially trade down from 64 if the bulk of this class is like day two players trading down from 64 might be beneficial because guys might slide to the top of the third. Yeah, there's definitely going to be, I mean, it happens every year. You always have a lot of, a lot of talent. There's always, you know, trade-ups for certain positions uh, and things like that, that sort of drop, uh, you know, other positions and other talent down the draft board a little bit. Um, and I, and I think in this year, especially when you're talking about the day two, um, sort of where the, the meat of the draft is at, it may not uh, you know hurt to, to drop back from 64, get a couple extra picks in the third round, and you're going to get guys who are right around that, um, you know, who would have been around that point anyway, uh, except now a little bit cheaper and you can get a couple more options as well. Are there any position groups where you think that that doesn't apply? Uh, and obviously quarterback, probably not, ex not, you know, not a factor here. But, but the one that I always think of, because, again, I, I consume a lot of draft stuff this time of year, like probably too much. Uh, I have heard multiple people say that they – I know Dane Brugger from The Athletic has mentioned that he does not believe that this tackle class has the same strength, like top to bottom, as last year's. And again, for me personally, I was on my stool complaining that the Broncos didn't draft a tackle last year. They haven't taken a tackle since 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, and Garrett Bowles is already going to be 30 this year. So, like, for me, it's like – they're still looking for a right tackle, but they might be looking for a left tackle pretty soon here. And it's, it's kind of a concern. So the fact that the tackle class might not be as good does concern me. Are there any others? And again, maybe you disagree, but are there, where do you stand on that? And kind of like, where do you land on the strengths of this class? Yeah. I mean, I think the tackle class is, I don't think it's terrible. Like we have three of the top tackles in our top six uh, of the okay. big board. Like there, there, you know, you look at that and there, there's definitely some guys at the top. And again, that doesn't really help Broncos fans when you're picking at 64. Um, but I think there's some guys that you can kind of work with some of those guys who probably back up at, at left and right tackle or some guys who maybe, um, you know, back up at, at left or right tackle. Um, those types of players, if we're looking at tackle specifically, um, I think there's some solid backups in this class. You know, not a ton of guys who are going to be able to start. You kind of have the three or four that everyone's been talking about. Mm -hmm. um, but beyond that, I, I think there's some decent depth. But whenever you're looking back to, to previous years, it probably doesn't stack up. Um, but, you know, in looking at some other other positions, if you go to the defensive side of the ball, edge and corner, I think are are very deep. Um, you know, I love this edge class. The, there's so many edges. Obviously, you know Hutchinson and Thibodeau at the top, but you just keep going down. And now, now Trevon Walker is trying to get up there. And, and Ajabo unfortunately had the injury, who who probably would have been in the top ten or fifteen. Um, but there's so many guys who could probably be back into the first round, all the way through like at the end of round three. There's so many guys in that range. Um, that I that I think who, who are going to come in and probably aren't like three down starters right away, but they're going to come in and, and at least be two down starters or come in on on uh, pass downs on third down and, and come in and be effective. Um, so I think a lot of talent there. And then the corner class, you know, you're looking at guys 
obviously Stingley, McDuffie, uh, Gardner, like all these guys at the top. But then you you kind of work your way down a lot of num- a good number three corners, a lot of good backup corners there too. Um, so I think throughout the the entirety of the draft class, there, again, there's a lot of positions that are I, I think pretty deep, and it's it's definitely a little bit different than years past. Um, you know, not the the top end talent, but a lot of bulk there. Um, who are going to be solid guys, you know, sub package type of guys and, and backups that kind of fill out the back end of the roster. Cool. Uh, so, and again, I, I keep hearing this and I, I've looked at Tankathon. I, I want to mention this just to our listeners just because I might refer to this a couple times. George Payton multiple times has said that the Broncos have nine picks. Tankathon has them at eight. I don't know where the discrepancy here is. I don't know if this is like part of the Trenton Holiday trade, but because of the Von Miller and Trenton Holiday trades, the Broncos do have a glut of picks on day three. Um, and then they have the second and third round pick, even though they did trade picks for Russell Wilson. So so those are going to be, again, listeners, those are going to be the guys we're kind of probably trying to cover as much as we can. Um, so if they are unfamiliar names here and there, you know, that's why. Um, I want to start, uh, first of all, with your guys um, that kind of come to mind that might be around in these spots just because you do the work like all year round. And again, like that is one of the reasons why for listeners, this is why I had to pick your brain. Like, you know, this backwards, um, and kind of like over the process of it. And again, like I do this, you know, a couple months a year, even me, like you fall for guys. I love David Ajabo before his injury. I was ready to bet the farm on him at nine. Obviously now, like all books are off because the Broncos don't have the ninth pick. He got hurt all that, but are there guys that kind of jump out at you that over the time that you've been studying this class that really jump out at you, that may actually be in play for the Broncos. Yeah. A couple of guys that I, I just kind of fell in love with when watching, I'll, I'll give one guy on the offensive side who probably won't be there at 64, but in case there's a little trade up there, he might be um, Tyler Smith, the tackle from Tulsa. Yeah. And they've just, met with him. They've met with him. Yeah. He's, he's just so much fun to watch. You watch him and he, nasty mauling mentality a guy that in four games I watched, I'm pretty sure he put about 15 guys on on their back. He just nice. always is going after guys and, and always trying to put them in the ground. Not like in a, you know, not, like not in a, uh, you know, over the top or, you know, penalty type of way. Um, but like through the play, just, you know, working them and, and getting them on their back. Um, one of the big things with him, very, very raw, needs a lot of technique work. His hands will be down by his sides at times. Um, you know, a, a, a lot of the stuff, you know, you're looking at like, okay, how did you just do that last play? And then all of a sudden, you know, why aren't you doing it on this play? Um, but he has all the tools and all the traits. He's just, you know, whenever you watch him, it's easy to fall in love with a guy like that. So I could, I could easily see somebody kind of betting on the, on the tools and the traits considering he's a third year guy, like obviously still very young, a lot to work with. Um, I could see someone betting on the traits late round one. Um, but if he, you know, goes, early to mid round two, you know, maybe if the Broncos are trying to trade up, um, he could be a spot that they, they try to go for. Cause I, I think he's, he's definitely got it. Uh, just has a little bit to work with. Um, and then on the defensive side of the ball, a guy that's a little bit more manageable for Denver to try to get uh, defensive tackle, Matthew Butler uh, from Tennessee. Didn't give many eight grades, uh, trait grades this year, but he was one of them. And I gave him an eight for motor plays a hundred miles an hour all the time. His, and it starts with his get off. He's, his get off is explosive. It's strong. Um, that first step is quick getting into offensive linemen, uh, just relentless trying to get the get to the ball. 
And one of the plays I actually watched, I watched him against Alabama. Bryce Young's out there ex- extended plays, 11 seconds, and, and Butler was the one that sort of forced the uh, the throw away on the sideline after 11 seconds. He's just always around the ball uh, and always trying to get to the ball. So maybe a guy that I'm probably a little bit higher on, probably uh, graded higher on than a lot of other people, but tests you know, relatively well, need to get a little bit more agile. Um, but overall, just, you know, I'll take the guys who are, you know, 100 miles an hour nonstop motors um, because you can you can definitely play with that uh, as you kind of figure out and refine some other things. So definitely a, a fun guy to watch as well there. With Smith, I want to I want to touch on this just because I've seen and, and this is one of the kind of the beauty of this class, too, is that. I, I look at a lot of different boards and people are all over the place on basically everybody outside of like Kyle Ham. Well, now everybody's weird on Kyle Hamilton too, though. Yeah. But, but, but people like outside of the guys who are like, you, you know, they're going in the first round. It seems like they're up, down, all over. I've seen Tyler Smith. Uh, I want to say I might, I might have this wrong. So I, I'm not looking at this, but I think Brandon Thorne, who I, I like a lot for offensive line analysis. I want to say he had him at like OT 12 because of how raw he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, the traits and the testing numbers and all that stuff is so high. That I think you're right. Like someone is probably going to planet theory. Someone's going to say only how many people actually can move like this. We're going to try and bet on him. But if he falls, like he's a developmental starter. If things go right, like that's what I'm really intrigued by because the Broncos technically need a swing tackle, but they also their right tackle situation. Now they have three one year deals. And after that, you know, who knows? So it's like, and I know Peyton is on record as saying he wants a guy for like the next six, seven years. Tyler Smith could be that guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's a guy that, you know, again, you talk about the rawness and, and what we grade for is we, we grade on role, like what their role is going to be by their second year. So we know that there's going to be some development in the first year. And I'm thinking by his second year, he's a guy who's, who's starting um, as a, as a left tackle. And and he can obviously play right tackle as well. So, you know, if you need to start him at right and then, you know, bowls moves on, kick him over to the left side, I think that's doable. Um, but I think, you know, get it, obviously a lot to work with, obviously a lot of refinement needs to happen. Um, but you get him in to an NFL system, let him take that year to kind of develop and refine his skills. And I think by year two, he's a guy who's going to be pretty solid on an offensive line. So since we're talking, you know, the lines, I think, you know, offensive tackle is probably the other thing I wanted to, cause there, there's other parts to this. I really want because the Broncos are moving away from Mike Munchak. First of all, that is one of the reasons why I am concerned for a guy like Smith, because I don't know what the development is like now. I always kind of just blindly trusted Munchak is going to develop guys, which I don't know if that's fair, but I just always did. Uh, but in terms of like, from a scheme standpoint, they're moving towards basically like a pure zone duo running game, or at least that's all signs seem to be pointing to that. Uh, like the Packers had. Uh, whereas when the Broncos had Munchak, even though they were running quite a bit of inside zone, they were mixing in quite a bit of gap as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Smith makes sense. And again, like based on like what I know about him, like Smith makes sense for a zone dual running game though. Yep. Cool. Uh, are there any other like kind of like guys that might be available in that range that kind of jump out to you that might be a good fit that also could potentially be maybe a developmental starter? Because yeah. I know like swing guys, like I'm ready, like Denver needs swing guys, but yep. I, I think fans are like clamoring. They want a guy they actually believe in long-term. Yeah. I think there's some guys in this class. We talked about those top three or four guys. Like you kind of watch those guys away and look beyond that. You know, there's not a ton of guys that, that are in this class who are, 
you know, we think by year two going to be able to come in and kind of start right away. But there are a lot of those swing guys who have those have that potential to possibly fill in as a starter. Um, and, you know, maybe by year two, they're they're really only that swing guy, that more backup type of player. But give them an extra year and then maybe they're developing into uh, you know, a possible starter. Uh, one guy that comes to mind for me is Zachary Thomas from San Diego State. I watched him a little bit and I, I actually liked what I saw. I was kind of surprised, <laughs> you know, obviously San Diego State type of guy. But what they're doing, like he played the left side, projects more to the right side with his his strength and his uh, his uh, more like anchor ability, um, but can play both sides. Um, strong displaces defenders quick finishes with with strong leg drive as well um a guy that you know i just thought whenever i was watching felt like a guy that could come in again play both sides be an easy backup for you on both sides but could potentially sort of work his way up to a starter position as well so there's two parts i gotta ask you about with that when you say san diego state guys like how do you mean just because they're kind of coached weird no just you know san diego state is more of that they don't throw the ball a lot. You have a yeah. lot of running uh, and, and, you know, a lot of, of that kind of stuff. So, you know, you're going to get a guy that, you know, maybe he doesn't have a ton of refinement in his, his pass pro uh, still needs a little bit of work there, but in terms of a guy who in the run game is going to be that nasty guy and is strong, good leg drive. He, he already has that. So that's kind of what you're looking for uh, on that, in, on that front. You're just kind of getting to the end of, Hey, maybe he hasn't, you know, they haven't thrown the ball a ton. Maybe he needs a little bit more development there. Um, but whenever you watch him as a whole, he has, he has a lot of the skills. And then the other thing I want to touch on just for our listeners, cause I, you and I have talked about this before. Uh, the fact that you guys do the two-year projection is something I really love. And it's one of those things that like, as we're discussing the offensive line and probably a couple other positions where I think, especially when we're looking at later down, later down the board, it's worth keeping in mind that you guys are projecting two years out when some positions do take longer to really reach their ceiling and offensive line is one of those. Um, yeah. And that is one of those reasons why I'm on record. I've said this on Twitter a bunch. It's unrealistic for the Broncos to expect a day one starter at tackle with where they're drafting. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, and again, tell me if I'm, and I know I'm kind of jumping a little bit here, but a couple positions to me that stand out as like potentially finding a guy who could be really early contributor, obviously running back. Uh, cornerbacks seem like they surprise you every now and then, mm -hmm. uh, especially nickels. Uh, and again, like the Broncos have a nickel need. So like, we'll, we'll probably get there. Uh, linebacker, some, some ed, like DPR kind of guys, like if you're giving him a very specific role, but yeah. like, if you're looking for an actual starter and that's one of the reasons why, again, why I wanted to really have this conversation, uh, like with tackle, like you, you are betting on the development is what you're trying to do. If you're trying to find a starter, you're, you're not grabbing a guy that's day one ready because if the guy is at his like top already, he's probably kind of tapped out. Yeah, for sure. And, and when we grade offensive line is one of those positions where there can be a lot of development uh, that goes into the, you know, goes into that position. Um, and whenever we place a guy into like a developmental uh, bucket, essentially, we're then giving him an extra year. So instead of grading him on it, on his, you know, what's he going to be day one of year two, we're essentially grading him on what's he going to be day one of year three. So, you know, obviously that's going to come a lot, you know, with offensive tackle, we try not to use that too much, but uh, every once in a while we'll, we'll get guys like that. Um, and, and we try and we're trying to grade guys. We're not just, you know, trying to grade and, and develop backups. We're trying to find those guys who are going to develop into being starters. And I know that came up last year when we had this chat because of Trey Lance, because Trey Lance was kind of in a weird spot. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so again, that's, yeah, 
quarterback's tough for sure too. And and, and quarterback, you're almost grading for what their career role is going to be. So you're you're looking at like, okay, this guy's going to be like win because of starter, or like this guy's going to be circumstantial starter, better backup, or, or this guy's a career backup. Um, different roles there. You just kind of have to find, look for the tools. Maybe it's going to take a little bit extra time to develop. I felt like Lance was, you know, more of like by year three, I think he'll be ready to roll. Um, but, you know, in terms of, of what bucket he's going to fit into, I think he's going to be, you know, a solid starter. So yeah, quarterbacks and offensive line are always a little bit tough. And this is a whole tangent, but th that's what makes this whole discourse right now about the Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance thing really interesting because every time like people are like a lot of Niners fans are losing their minds about the idea that Trey Lance not play this year. And I keep going back to our conversation thinking like it might be smart to not rush him to play this year. But, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's tough. Like whenever you're in a position where like, especially with the fan base, wants to win right now, you know that you have a really good athlete in terms of, of Lance. You've seen what Garoppolo has done. Like he's, he's shown, you know, that he can do some things, but then he's also shown like, you know, all right, he's, he's missing easy throws here and there. It's, it's easy to try to move on from that. Um, mm -hmm. Whenever you're not really thinking of like the overall development uh, of a player. The unknown at that point starts to become really enticing because you start to just, you fill it in with all the positives. Yep, exactly. Uh, are there any other tackles that really jump out to you? Uh, just because again, I know, let's put it this way. Whenever I ask like Broncos fans, what is the biggest need? It doesn't really matter what else like is going on. Right tackle has been the like winning thing in all the polls I ask because Broncos fans, I think Broncos fans like Calvin Anderson, but again, he's on a one-year deal. It's under the RFA tender. Uh, Billy Turner failed his physical before he signed with the Broncos. I do think that Turner signing did help Broncos fans some just because they see what he's done already. And he's been, you know, mm -hmm. a filling guy, but then, uh, Compton, Tom Compton, who's the other, the third right tackle candidate, promising run blocker. Um, I know when I looked up your guys' numbers for his blown pass blocks, though, it's definitely a concern for me. Uh, and I haven't gone, I haven't gone back over his tape yet, but that's one of those things like I am going into it thinking I, this is not going to be a guy you want on an Island and pass pro very much. Yeah. seems like a guy, you know, if, if you have to put him out there as a backup, you, you know, can maybe play a couple of different positions. Sure. But as, as a guy who's going to have to go out there and start, it's a little bit rough, but uh, yeah, there's a couple of guys that um, you know, when you're looking at the tackle position, a couple of guys that kind of stood out to me um, as more of the, the middle round type of guys, Sean Ryan from UCLA. I, I think there's been talk about him, you know, coming into the season, I think there was talk, you know, first round type of type of talk on him. And, and whenever I watched the film, I definitely didn't see that, but I saw a guy, who, you know, has the tools and has, you know, has some skills that you can develop there. Strong and powerful, generates a lot of push in the run game, uh, good hands in the pass game, uh, needs to work a little bit on getting quicker and more agile. Um, for me, he's better on the right side, played the left side, mostly at UCLA. Um, just the skill set fits a little bit better on the right side, but another one of those guys who I think can be a swing tackle type. Um, and then another guy, Joshua Zudu from uh, UNC, a guy that, I didn't really know much about popped on some UNC film and, and kind of, you know, popped a little bit um, kind of a, a little bit different in terms of like being the complete opposite of what Ryan is better on the left side, better mirror match reactive athleticism type uh, fluid out in space um, and, and incredibly accurate hands always seems to hit the chest plate every time he, he punches his hands um, with him, obviously needs to get a little bit stronger, improve the pad level a little bit uh, and, and improve the, the body control some. But another guy I was impressed with, for me, better fit as, at left tackle, but again, can play both sides, uh, you know, if he gets a little bit stronger. 
I want to ask you about him just because I've seen Broncos fans talk about him. I don't know if he's going to even be there at 64, but Abraham Lucas, uh, mm-hmm. I know he's coming from like a quote unquote weird offense. And I, and, and then there's some like talk that that might force him to slide. Um, and then I know the Broncos visit with him. I wanted to mention him just because he's one of those guys that if, if I somehow get him in mock drafts, everybody always goes crazy thinking like I got, you know, a steal. Uh, wh- where do you kind of think about him? Yeah, I haven't watched a ton of him, but what we have on him, uh, a guy that, again, another swing tackle type, um, is, is a guy that has steady feet, crafty and pass pro, um, has the awareness, uh, you know, whenever working against like stunts and games, um, needs to work a little bit better with the, the first step quickness, getting out of his stance a little bit, uh, get a little bit more powerful, a little bit stronger. Um, but definitely a guy who uh, he played on the right side, probably fits that side better. Um, but, you know, again, another swing tackle that developed a little bit uh, of the nuance there. Uh, I, I think he can kick over to the left side. Cool. Do you think, uh, and again, knowing that it's not realistic to draft this guy as a starter year one, do you think it makes sense to hope that this rookie is ready for year two? The Broncos signed all their tackles to one-year contracts. Is it going to be in the situation where they're going to probably want to keep at least one of them around for a rookie? Because again, realistically, I, and I'm real, I'm trying to be realistic about this. If you're drafting a guy this far down the board, you can't, you can't peg him and say he has to be a starter next year. It just, it's not realistic. Um, so to me, the financial reality is they might, hope to extend Calvin Anderson or Billy Turner or somebody for at least another year and maybe, maybe longer if these guys become a swing tackle versus a starter. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, for me, like, obviously if you're hitting starters on day three, then you're definitely doing something right. But I don't think anybody really goes into day three thinking that we're going to get a bunch of starters. Unless they're fans. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're trying to get guys who are going to fill out the end of the roster. You're trying to get guys who fit the scheme and guys who are going to, who are going to get, come in and compete essentially with what's already in the room. Um, and if you're getting guys who end up developing into being starters, you know, that obviously is, uh, you know, a home run, like you, like you're saying there. So, you know, whenever you're looking at it from that perspective, you're not trying to draft a guy and say, all right, this guy in round five is going to be our starter day one. You're going to try to develop him with guys on one-year contracts. You bring him in, bring him into the room, see what happens, see what sort of competition plays out uh, in training camp. If he ends up beating everybody out, then sure, he's a starter. Now, is he going to have some troubles? Probably, but um, at least he's going to have some development that you can kind of work with moving on to year two and three. Jonathan Cooper last year, the Broncos found Jonathan Cooper. I want to say that probably a fourth-round-ish talent based on like pre-draft before everything started to come out about his heart. Then he fell to the seventh. He surprised a lot of Broncos fans as a seventh rounder. Everybody kind of went nuts. Again, he had a really good game against Terrence Steele and against the Cowboys. He played okay once the Von, like after Von Miller was traded, he essentially became like the promising guy to watch on the line because Bradley Chubb was so banged up and Malik Reed had a really down year. Uh, and outside of that, the Broncos just didn't really have a whole lot of edge. Um, but again, realistically, Jonathan Cooper as a seventh rounder is not the guy. Like, you don't hold that spot saying it's locked down. We don't have to worry about it. We have Jonathan Cooper there. Yeah. You have to look at it as a GM. You have to look at it and say, I spent a seventh round pick here, but after Randy Gregory and Bradley Chubb, I have an undrafted free agent who is an R- on an RFA tender. And then I have a guy I drafted in the seventh round last year. Like, you have to still look at this and say, 
we probably need to continue to add to the edge room. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that goes sort of to the, the role-based grading here is you're trying to, yeah. to upgrade at that position based on, on what's coming in. Like if you're finding a guy who probably grades out better than that and he makes the room better, you have to go for a guy like that. So yeah, I think Cooper was a surprise last year and, and he was solid. And if he ends up being a depth guy, a guy that you can kind of rotate in great, but you know, if he has to start, you can get by, but if you can find somebody that, that can kind of step in and, and you know, make it make, make the, the position better, you have to go for it. Especially again, like there's some positions where I think, you know, you kind of throw a guy out there as a starter and you kind of, unless he's hurt, you, you don't worry, like tackle offensive line. Generally, if, yeah. if you have a starter, that guy plays every single snap edge though, most edges play like 60 ish to 70 ish percent of snaps. So like, you're still going to need depth in those places. Cause you want waves. Yeah. Uh, and both Malik, first of all, there's a whole like list of things that I am concerned about the edge room with. It's one of the reasons why I have hyper-focused on this position group, because again, before the Broncos signed Gregory traded for Wilson, I thought this is the spot that probably makes the most sense to take at nine, unless one of those three tackles fell. Uh, but I mean, Randy Gregory and Bradley Chubb between the two of them, they have one full season. Uh, and it's not Gregory, it's Chubb and Chubb the last three years has been hurt every single season. Yeah. So that is definitely a concern for me. And then Jonathan Cooper, and I liked him a lot, but he's a T-Rex. He's got very short arms, and you, you're you not going to get longer. So, like, that's always going to be a concern. And then Malik Reed is very light. He's, like, 6'1", 235 pounds. So, like, there, there is clear issues in that edge room, even though they've kind of made the most of it with Fangio. Fangio's gone. So, to me, like, this, especially with the strength of this class, this looks like the position I hope Peyton takes at least one. And I, and I like emphasize at least, like, I hope they take at least a couple if, if guys are there because chances are guys falling to 64 may very well be a higher second round pick most years. Yeah. I, I would argue that the edge position is probably the one position you want as many, many guys as you can possibly have. Um, I mean, you look at a lot of the, the better teams in the last few years, look at what the Eagles did a few years, years ago, literally rotating their entire defensive line, like every, every few plays, because they had the depth to be able to do that. You bring guys in who can rush the passer, like it doesn't matter who you bring in, but he can rush the passer on any down, um, at any point in the game. That's huge for, for a defense, for a team. So yeah, I would argue that edge is, is one of those positions you're always looking to upgrade. And if you have the picks to be able to do it. Take as many as you can, especially in a class like this. Who? So again, like I know the big names. Uh, I'm still, I'm in the process of hoping to get more Nick Benito tape. Uh, for whatever reason, I have a very painfully little amount of Oklahoma tape right now. Uh, I am intrigued by Benito, but who else kind of makes sense that might be around at 64 or in that ballpark? So like if they trade, you know, around there. Yeah, Benito's fun, actually. I, I like him a lot, too. I, he, obviously, more of that sub-package uh, yep. rusher right now, but he's he's a guy that can get to the quarterback. He's a lot of fun to watch. Um, I'm actually going to go and, and stay with the same team. I'll, I'll stick with Oklahoma. Isaiah Thomas, um, another fun guy to watch. Very versatile, relentless pass rusher. Um, just rangy, agile athlete. A guy who basically played all over the defensive line for Oklahoma. So I'm sure if you if you've seen Benito, you've probably seen Thomas flash a little yep. bit. Um, gets off the ball super quick. Good hands at the point of attack. Um, needs to get a little bit stronger. Not a guy who's really going to set the edge yet. Um, but you know, I, I think he comes in and, and develops a little bit. Especially gets gets stronger, gets a little bit more stout, and still has that pass rush ability. I think he's a guy who can really be. 
another sub package guy uh, to, to really add to the edge. Um, another player, Josh Patsko from Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, yep. Almost exactly the same as, as Thomas, to be honest. I have you know, ranked a little bit higher, uh, but another guy who, another versatile player played everywhere on, on Kentucky's defensive line, um, more of the mold of the four, three defensive end. But if you wanted to reduce him down to a five tech, you could do that. Um, put him down at three tech and rush the passer. You can do that as well. Um, a, a little bit difference with him and, and Thomas is he's a strong guy. Um, very strong, uh, gets off the line fast, explosive, uses his hands really well, um, can set the edge in the run game. So needs a little improvement there on the pass rush ability, more of your first and second down player right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of bring the pass rush ability uh, there with Pascal. He's going to be a pretty solid player. And I kind of like the idea of a guy who can reduce down to play that five tech just, and again, I don't know, you know, I don't know where the Broncos land on this, obviously, but but me personally, like after as part of the Russell Wilson trade, the Broncos traded Shelby Harris. They haven't really replaced him yet. Uh, DJ Jones, I know they signed him, and I've talked about this before, so listeners know this. He's short. He's like six feet. Like he's a nose tackle. Like he's a pure nose tackle. And again, like yeah, they could have definitely improved their nose tackle, but they haven't replaced the, uh, their five tech unless McTelvin Ajim is ready. And he, so far, we've seen like two hundred snaps of him. So I have no idea if he's ready. Yeah. Uh, awesome. I want to ask you about David Ajabo uh, just, and I, I want to, I want to you know frame this around again. Uh, Dane Brugler said he spoke with three different scouts uh, on a, one of his podcasts, a couple, I want to say it was last week. And he mentioned that scouts basically said that Ojabo to them fell in that like 40 to 70 range. And again, like 64 is obviously on the low end of that, but I start to hear it. And I'm thinking to myself again, un- probably unreal, you know, unreasonably, if, if a job falls to 45, even if you have to like sit on him for a year, to me, the upside might be worth it. Um, where do you, what do you think? Yeah, I watched the job and I, I liked him a lot. Obviously, you know, with him, just the raw athleticism is just ridiculous. Um, I actually got to see him up close, uh, went to the Maryland game whenever they came out. Uh, so got to see him in Hutchinson up close. And, and those are the types of guys that you want as an edge rusher in the NFL. Um, you know, he's only been playing football for five years. So super raw, still a lot to learn. Um, and I think Hutchinson, whenever they interviewed him at the combine, even said something about Ojabo, you know, just the improvement he made from the beginning of the year to the end of the year is just ridiculous in, in one season. Um, obviously, uh, you know, when, when you talk about guys like that, need to get stronger, need to develop a pass rush plan, but just the raw athleticism to just say, see ball, get ball is just unreal um, whenever you watch him super bendy and flexible on the edge. Um, but the thing with him, you know, there's a lot of talk that he probably wasn't going to be much, you know, very effective year one anyway with the the rawness anyway. Um, he's a guy you maybe, you, you again, you throw out there on sub packages and just say, go get the quarterback. Um, but by year two, should have something there. So I think, you know, you could, you're going to have teams probably at the back end of round one debating this, saying like, all right, you know, can we afford to take this guy and kind of sit on him for a year and let him develop, let him, you know, heal essentially. And then year two come out and play a full year, you know, because we are probably going to do that with him anyway. And I want to ask, and again, you, you probably have better perspective on this than I do uh, with an Achilles injury. And, and again, like I, I'm kind of drawing on like what I know about how Bradley Chubb developed. Cause when Bradley Chubb tore his ACL, everybody was like, Oh shoot. You know, cause he had a lot of stuff leading up to year two that he should have improved on. Like there was some concern about his run defense towards ACL year two, four games in 
he showed up in 2020 and he was a better run defender. And I noticed that his hands definitely, his plan definitely looked better. Like it definitely seemed like he, he made an effort while he couldn't necessarily run Mm -hmm. to kind of like refine the upper part, upper body parts of his game. So like, to me, that seems reasonable to hope for with a job. Um, again, you kind of hope that he can regain the explosiveness, regain, you know, all the athleticism, but the idea that like, it's, it's not like he's going to be sitting on a beach all year, you know, drinking margaritas. He's probably going to be working on stuff. It's just, he won't be able to run. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing, just getting him in, in the NFL room, just get him in there, get him in the film room, get him, get him around the guys. And yeah, they're going to have him doing tons of upper body stuff. He's still going to be working on everything else. And just, I think being in the film room with everybody else is, is going to be huge for him. And, and I think we saw that with Chubb. Uh, and I think something very similar could happen with the Jabba. So I'm going to hold out hope that he somehow slides, uh, even if it's unreal, you know, unreasonable. It's just, uh, I, I have a type. I think it's because of Von Miller. For whatever reason, just like the edge rushers that give you even like a glimpse of like a Von Miller-esque type, I, I fall for those guys. And David Ojabo, to me, is probably the closest in this class. I like Arnold Ebiketti, too, for the same reason. Don't think he's going to be there. Um, but I like him. Yeah, uh, you can always hope. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's one of those. Um, <laughs> cornerback, and I and I alluded to this a little bit before when we touched on this. Nichols, like there are rookie nickels that sometimes come in that are undrafted guys. And early on, they just blow your socks up because whatever reason they're ready. So like, this is a position and the Broncos don't need a day one starter at corner, but it's one of those spots where they may very well be able to unearth like a a surprise contributor. Um, they, they have spent a significant number of resources. I know for listeners. So I don't know where Peyton's going to like kind of weigh this. They have not as best. I know had a lot of visits with corners yet. But also Peyton's one of those GMs where like, it seems like he prioritizes it. So I expect it to happen. Um, are there any guys who kind of step stand out to you as like strong fits for a Fangio type system? Just because I believe the Broncos are going to continue to run uh, under Rivero, a similar system to what they did last year. Uh, it'll just have like, you know, kind of like new age stuff blended into it. Yeah. Um, you know, the guy I really like, Demarion Williams from Houston. Uh, you know, for what it's worth, I like Marcus Jones too. He's probably the more flashy name. Um, but Williams, smart corner, uh, has versatility. So Houston actually, the way that they run their defense, they play their corners outside slot and even moving back to safety too. So a guy like Williams, a guy like Jones, guys that can kind of play everywhere, um, but can can move around, plays good in off man coverage, but you know, with that reactive athleticism, transition ability but also good in zone coverage, has the instincts, has the ball skills um, to sort of, you know, has the awareness out in in zone coverage as well. So a guy that, you know, I'd be comfortable in any of those uh, schemes, a guy I probably wouldn't press much early on, needs to get a little bit stronger, uh, a little bit better technique and press. Um, But a guy, whenever I watched him, I I sort of liked a lot. Uh, And another guy I think fits really well uh, is Josh Thompson at at Texas. Uh, If you want a physical corner, Thompson's your guy, um, but not only physical vers- with receivers during their route, um, but he sees a run, he sees a screen coming coming his way. He is a hundred miles an hour down uh, downhill trying to knock the blocker back into the running back. He's he's a fun guy to watch. Um, whenever you look at you know, aside from that, just good speed, has speed all over the field, reactive athlete. Um, a guy that I think fits really well in that cover two type of system where, you know, maybe you can press at the line, be physical sort of towards the line of scrimmage, drop back and let him use his eyes. Uh, didn't have a ton of ball skills, 
Um, you know, it, it was kind of surprising. He he was always around the ball, but just never got the ball. Um, so it, it, the on-ball production was a little less than than you would think for a guy like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but just his his skill set and his traits, I, I think, fit really well in this kind of scheme. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. As far as when you're, when you're looking at corners who may be. N- it just is a general, general term. Like when you're looking at corners who don't play a lot of inside, what are you necessarily looking for to see if that's where they're translating to? I know a lot of fans basically say, Oh, he's under, you know, under a certain height, he must be a nickel, but that is, it, it can't be that simple. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's obviously a factor. It, it's hard to, you know, I, I think Roger McCreary is probably going to be the guy everyone's going to talk about this year when he, you know, 28 inch arms. And the crazy thing is like, he loves to press and he's good at it especially on the outside. Um, but whenever you have guys who just aren't very tall, they're not very long, it's hard for those types of guys, these 5'10 guys, to go up against 6'4", six, 6'5", six, guys who are extremely long on the outside. Um, you, you, know, you have better matchups whenever you bump down inside. Your slot receivers are usually smaller. I think that's why now you see a lot of offenses who are starting to deploy more of that big slot mm-hmm. to try and, and create those mismatches. You have the smaller players in the slot position. So now if you bring in, uh, you know, a, a bigger type of guy, you bring Cortland Sutton into the slot. Now there's a mismatch um, because he's going up against a guy half his size. So, you know, that's sort of the, the thought that you have there, but it's hard to bump guys inside because those guys have to be very quick and very reactive um, because now whenever you're looking at the smaller guys, they're going to be quicker and they're going to be faster and, you know, if they're getting to the top of the route and they're losing you, you, there's no way that you can really do much. So if you're bumping guys inside that are smaller, those guys just have to have a lot of reactive athleticism. They, they have to be able to mirror and match what they're, you know, what's coming out of the slot. Um, so, you know, you have, you're not probably not going to be able to press a ton. You're going to have to play off and you're going to have to sort of react to what these, these smaller and quicker guys are doing. And, and I don't, and again, I don't know how much you watched David or Michael Ojemudia, but that was like one of my concerns with him last year. He was the backup nickel, uh, early in camp and he got hurt, you know, all that. But at one point it looked like he was going to be a factor for the nickel. And I never saw that when he was coming out, uh, mm-hmm. just because like, I didn't think he was quick enough and playing in the slot, the receiver, they have more routes available to them. So like, you can't rely on the sideline as much as I felt like he did as a rookie. So it was a big concern for me. Again, the Broncos signed Quan Williams, so it's probably not a big issue anymore. Uh, but I just, you know, I wanted to kind of see where you landed on that. Yeah, for sure. There's, you know, it, it is tough. I will say that's one of the tougher things, especially for me, is when you're watching a corner that only plays the outside, it, it's tough to be able to project a guy that, you know, it, can he play inside? 
um, especially with the skill set. And that's one of those things where you have to kind of take everything that you're seeing. You're taking the transition ability, the reactive athleticism. And if you're saying if this guy moves inside, can he now cover essentially the entire field? Um, so it's, it's definitely tough. And, you know, you, you almost have to slot guys into that position just you know merely based on the size because they're just not going to be able to hole up on the outside. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be good on the inside. Um, so that's, you know, a lot of different factors you get away. So that's part of the reason why there's so much volatility at corner in general. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah. Um, on the other side of this, and this is actually a position, the Broncos have had a ton of visits. Uh, they have basically, it's a very clear need uh, is tight end. Uh, at the same time, there might not be a position where you are less likely to get a rookie contributor than tight end normally. Like, and this is like out of the first round, uh, just because essentially most rookie tight ends are learning two positions essentially in the NFL. The Broncos are going to be trying to find this guy on day three. Uh, to me, it doesn't seem realistic at all. The hope that this guy is going to be, you know, big time year one. Uh, but at the same time, you look at the room. They have Alberto. After that, they signed Eric Tomlinson and his 18 career catches. And then they have Sean Byer and his zero career catches who was, and he, he has the traits to become more of a receiver in the NFL. I remember reading the guide last year, but he was mostly a blocker at Iowa. Uh, so right now they have Albert O and then kind of like what looks like a pretty big need for a receiver. Are there any kind of tight ends that might be available that jump out to you? Also just in general, like kind of where you stand on this class as tight ends in general. Uh, cause there's not a big name at the top as far like, I know everybody's going crazy about Trey McBride. I know Broncos fans are going really crazy about Trey McBride cause he's from Colorado state. Yeah. Uh, but beyond him, like how, how do you feel about this class? Yeah, it's not like last year, obviously, we had a guy like Kyle Pitts, who's far and away, uh, you know, you know, top of the class. uh, And, you know, we had he would have been ranked the the top player in our in our draft this year. Um, For us this year, we don't have anybody graded a six, seven or higher at the tight end position. So we have nobody who we think is going to be a complete H and Y tight end come year two. Now, that being said, there's a lot of guys that we have in that 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six range who we think can be starters at H or at Y. Um, so, you know, again, going back to the theme of this day two sort of draft is going to be very heavy for a lot of positions. And I think that's sort of the same thing for tight end here. It, I want to I wanna expand on this for our listeners just because some people might hear H, Y and get kind of, you know, well, what are you talking about? Y being an inline blocking tight end, guys. H being closer to like what you would imagine a fullback. For the Broncos, that's like Andrew Beck. Uh, the Broncos are definitely looking at both just, you know, for our dear listeners. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Your H is, is a guy who, you know, playing off the ball slot, you know, put him in the slot, good receiver, um, you know, different depends on the, on the system of, of how you're trying to use him as well. Um, but yeah, I, you know, kind of looked more on day two in terms of some guys that I think could be possibilities for us. Jeremy Rucker is our number two, uh, I like tight him a lot. End, and I think, I think we feel like he could be the guy who could be the most complete tight end and yep. the best, most complete tight end of this class. Um, I think he's a good enough blocker. Like he's a solid blocker and a good enough receiver now that if he improves the receiving ability a little bit, he can be that complete tight end. Um, he's probably used more like a Y, bigger guy um, and, and more of that inline type of guy now. But, you know, I wouldn't hate having to, to put him out in the slot uh, every so often if you needed to. Um, so we have him behind Isaiah Likely right now. 
uh, as our number one, but obviously likely completely opposite, just more of a, a slot receiver essentially. Um, but I, you know, for me, if you're looking for a guy who is more of the Y type and can develop into being like an o- overall all around tight end, I would probably go Ruckert. Um, if you're looking at a guy who could probably be there day two, who is more of the receiver. I like Charlie Kolar from Iowa state. Um, smart tight end, good receiver, very good catching skills. He's basically like a safety blanket for your, your quarterback. Um, has the speed, has enough separation ability, mismatch ability that, you know, he's going to be that not, he's not going to be the guy, he has the, the height to be it, but he's not going to be the guy who you're really going to put in line a ton, play him off the ball, split zone him, um, toss him out in the slot uh, and, and be a solid receiver for you. Um, but he's also not inept as a blocker either. He's a guy who he has enough blocking ability that can get by. Um, but for me, you know, he's going to make, make his money as a receiver first. And I think he's a guy that, um, if you went there, he would be a solid, uh, you know, receiving option at tight end. Jelani Woods, I was watching him a little bit yesterday. And again, guys, we're recording this on Wednesday. Jelani Woods kind of screamed better receiver than blocker to me as well, but his body type looks like he should be a better blocker than he is. Uh, but it almost works against him because he's so tall. I feel like he had really, it seemed like when he was in line, he had some trouble with like leverage. Um, yeah, it, he tested out of the gym. He's a freak athlete. And I actually watched him. Uh, one of my, I think I did tight ends pretty early on and I watched him. I was like, all right, Johnny Woods has some pretty decent numbers. Why not take a look at him? First four years at Oklahoma state, basically all he did was block. He, I think he had more targets and receptions this year at Virginia than he did his all, <laughs> all four years at Oklahoma state. So I went into it like, all right, this guy's a blocker. This guy is not very good as a blocker. <laughs> he needs he needs a lot of development as a blocker. But the good thing working for him is he is very big. Like if you get his technique down, he has the strength and the size to be able to be that Y and and be a solid blocker in line. But whenever you watch him this year at Virginia, his receiving skills are are ridiculous. Like he, he runs good routes. He catches just about everything. Catches in traffic, um, and, and I think that's honestly something that's still being developed too. So. Yeah, he was a very big surprise for me and, and super athlete. But yeah, I think he's a guy that for me, I have him as a complete tight end. I just think he's more of the backup right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but a guy that I I would have no uh, hesitations with bringing him in and having him compete. And I want to I want to get where I want to find out. And again, you might get some Broncos fans mad at you just to warn you. But I, I do want to find out where you kind of land on McBride just because he's not your guys as number one. Um, and again, I want to say also that I have record above him. So if people are going to throw tomatoes at you, I'm, I'm right here too. Uh, but, but it, it seems to me like almost he's a local guy. So it's one of those things where people are kind of over the top praising him. Uh, he, yeah. I've heard people compare him to Kyle Pitts, which is insane. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. Where you land on him. Yeah. I'm probably going to get some people mad at me then. Um, we have him as our number five tight end. So like, I, I like him and whenever you watch him play like obviously the hands are ridiculous like he catches everything especially for his size you saw it at the senior bowl you have all these other tight ends who are six 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 seven and he's out here at six two and a half and making plays that like he is six seven but to me like i just didn't whenever you watch the film you don't see as much separation as you want to and especially for a smaller guy like that you got to be able to separate or you're going to get held up a lot so for me i didn't see a ton of it but he does have the skills there that you can develop not not a terrible blocker. He's still a good blocker, just not the size to be able to probably play Y. He's probably more of an H, but um, for me, his his hands are, are the number one thing. Just he just got to get more 
separation from him, like good route runner and things like that. Just I didn't see enough separation to to be like, all right, this guy's the number one guy. And I I even told guys before I watched him, I was like, all right, we have everybody basically in place. I'm about to watch McBride. This is probably our tight end one. Uh, and I watched him. I was like, man, just I wanted to see more. Um, so there's things to like about it, but there's also some some things that he needs to develop on for sure. And one of my concerns with that, because I've seen some McBride and then I've, I've read a lot about McBride, is the separation thing is one of those things that generally that doesn't improve in the league. Like, yeah. so so it, it goes with receivers too. Like, basically, in general, if they're not creating separation in college, it's not one of those things that you can just say, well, get them in an NFL training program. They'll definitely get better at it. It's like, well, if he doesn't have it, he might not have it. And that's that's a big concern. Yeah, there. I mean, there are subtle nuances, especially as a receiver, that yeah. you can kind of pick up and develop to to be a better route runner or to be a little bit quicker in and out of cuts to sort of create the little bit of separation. But yeah, you're right. I think if you don't have much of it at the at the college level, it's going to be really hard to develop, especially in a in a wide range. Like you may get a little bit better, but it's going to be hard to be like you know a four separator to being a six or seven separator. Like yeah. you may jump up a little bit. Um, but I don't think there's much you can do that. You're really going to stand out and, and create that much separation for that trait. I, this is, I haven't given you any sort of warning on this, but I'm curious about this just because you mentioned it. Are there any traits that like you have found that that does happen? Like you can kind of count on a guy over the course of, and I don't know how much you would go back and watch guys after they're already in the league, but are there any guys that you've noticed where like, like for example, and this is like one of those assumptions we always make with tackles. Oh, if you put him in a weight training program for two years, he'll get stronger. Like, is that realistic? Like, as a whole, like, you know what I mean? Some, I think to an extent, like you have to realize a guy being strong in the weight room and a guy being functionally strong yeah. on the field are completely different. Um, I think there is a sense that like, all right, there's a lot of guys in college, especially when we're talking edge rushers, especially this year with, with how many edge rushers there are. There are a ton of guys who are just long, lanky dudes that have no no, yep. no muscle tone or anything. They're just working on speed rushes to get to the quarterback. And I think you put some muscle and some meat on those guys. And I think it is going to help them to an, to an extent, but there's a lot of work that goes into it to, to really take that to the next level. And again, that's not a one year thing, Like right? You're you know, a guy that has, you know, four play strength right now probably is more going to be along the five range by year two, because they're going to get into the next level and they are going to get into that program, especially when you're talking about small school guys or guys that are coming from programs that don't have a high end like training program um, and, and kind of working from there. But it's hard to think by year two, things are just going to completely change, uh, you know, especially on that aspect. Unrelated. And again, we're going to get to defensive line. That's where I want to you know go next. And again, I also I know I'm keeping you. So, let you know, let me know on this. Yeah, you're good. Uh, but it's just one of those things. Like, I'm, I'm just having fun talking to you. Uh, For sure. But that's my concern with Trayvon Walker. Like, totally unrelated to the Broncos here. Trayvon Walker getting talked to me at number one seems insane. Just because, and I like Trayvon Walker a lot. But the big concern with him is pass rush, both his plan and then also like the instincts as a pass rusher. To me, yeah. neither one of them seem like like I'm not on board yet. Saying I know that this guy is going to be good at that. Yeah, he's, he's at Georgia. Like he's at a school where like the fact that he doesn't know it to me feels like a red flag. He's I, I watch a lot of Georgia. I do their participation every week. I, I basically did every single game this year and I've seen a lot of them seen Walker the last couple of years. And you would think that the only question that I have is the, the scheme that they run, especially for yeah, edge rushers. Yeah. 
because then you look at a guy like Jermaine Johnson who left Georgia and goes to Florida State, yep. who was two or three sack guy, and all of a sudden he's eleven and a half sack guy because they started playing him on the edge where a true edge rusher should be playing. Where Trevon Walker's playing five tech, he's playing three tech, he's playing head up, he's playing off ball linebacker, he's playing literally everywhere at Georgia, and I think that with him that's sort of what you're betting on. He has the athleticism, he has the traits that if you get him in a position where you just play him at edge, obviously you want to use his versatility. You want to bounce him all around. But if you get him at edge and you sort of work him there and move from, you know, at that point out, then you can kind of get in his head like, all right, work these traits and, and, and basically play what an edge rusher would be playing. And then all of a sudden those six sacks maybe go to 10 or 12. So that I think that's what you're banking on with him. Like we, you know, we have him graded pretty high. Uh, and you know, we love the versatility, just, you know, obviously the athleticism is off the, off the charts, but it it is a concern, but then you can look at other, you know, other players who have kind of left that, that system. Um, and again, you know, we're, we're built on this. We're not saying look for the exceptions. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that Jermaine Johnson is, is very much an exception. Um, but I think there's enough there that you kind of, you can kind of work with. Again, I, I don't want him at number one. I maybe I well, want him at number one. So as a Lions fan, they can take Hutchinson. Yeah. But in that aspect, like I, I think there's enough that you know, if you're going to take him in the middle of the top ten, uh, I you know you're banking on the traits. And I think he's got the versatility and the athleticism to do it. He was one of those guys that, like, as I was watching him considering for nine, I thought like he's not my first choice for nine, but I could buy it just because like in this class. But like I thought like he his tape inside at five tech was really good. So like, I almost would want to play him more using that than make him play edge, but you know, Broncos problem now. (laughs) True. I I mean, I watched him and before I knew the measurables, like he came in at what? 272, I think. Yep. And before I knew the measurables, if he was playing at at about 280, 285, I wanted to put him at, I almost wanted to put him at three tech. Like whenever you line him up at three tech, his get off is ridiculous. And I think he could use that against guards. Same. But I think coming in at 272, I don't think he's going to get much bigger. At least I probably wouldn't make him yeah. much bigger. Play him on the edge, and I think he's going to have. Uh, and and then from there, you can you can stand him up, you can kick him out yeah. to the flats. Like some of his his range and coverage is ridiculous. So yeah, um, like obviously want to use that a little bit. But another team to worry about. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's one of those things that if the Lions do, we'll talk about it once we're talking about the Broncos yeah. schedule. So. Yeah. Uh, Defensive line, though, the Broncos are weird at the defensive line. I already alluded to this with the Shelby Harris trade. McTelvin Najim played, I know it's less than 300 snaps since he was drafted, which is alarming because he was a third-round pick. You expect that guy to – and he he was productive as a pass rusher in terms of, like, your charting numbers. But just – he and again, I saw it on tape. He's a bad run defender. He was a pretty dang bad run defender, honestly. Um, I'm hoping that improves, obviously, but that's why they didn't play him. That's fair. Uh, but Mike Purcell is currently potentially a cap casualty uh, because DJ Jones, they're playing the same position and Mike Purcell is expensive in terms of, you know, relatively speaking. And he only played 18 to 33 games over the last 19 of 33 games over the last two years. Uh, beyond that, the Broncos have Draymond Jones and a lot of questions. Deshaun Williams came back um, for a pretty close to league minimum deal. But the defensive line last year was clearly a problem. After Josie Jewell and Alexander Johnson got hurt, the Broncos' run defense just completely, honestly, everything in the front seven started to completely fall apart once the linebackers got hurt, which really revealed, like, outside of Draymond Jones, there was just issues uh, up front. 
So it's one of those things that even though the Broncos gave DJ Jones that three-year $30 million contract, it could make a lot of sense to continue to throw more bodies along the defensive line. How do you kind of feel about this defensive line class? This, like as a, you know, as a starting question, but also like, are there any guys that jump out to you? Cause I know the big names like Jordan Davis, obviously John, uh, Wyatt, uh, Travis Jones, he falls in mock machines to 64. I don't think that's realistic. Uh, I'll be honest. I hope it happens. Um, but I heard people talking about him at one point as a first round pick. Those guys don't fall to 64. If you're getting talked about as a potential first round pick, even like, even if it doesn't happen. Yeah, I, I was, I think we're a little bit lower on Travis Jones. Um, but I, I mean, I, I see the upside. I see yeah, the athleticism. Yeah. You see that. And, and I, it's hard to say that he's going to fall to 64. Um, yeah, I think the defensive line class, like if we're talking the five Texan in essentially, yeah. I think it's, it's decent. Like, I, I don't think there's a ton of meat uh, on there, but you're looking at guys like, you know, a Perry and Winfrey or DeMarvin Leal, like different kinds of guys who can do a little bit for you. Uh, well, I was just going to ask with DeMarvin Leal, especially like in, in Perry on Winfrey, Winfrey, this kind of comes up too. One of the things with the Fangio front, and I know I've talked to you about this before, but one of the things with the Fangio defenses is they tend to ask their defensive linemen to play gap and a half or like quote unquote two gap. Yep. Leal, every, and I haven't gone to watch him yet, but everything I've read about Leal suggests that that might be an issue. Uh, so I'm just kind of curious, like where you're landing on, I, like, first of all, like with that two gap, are there guys that really come off the board in your mind as potential fits because of that? And then like the guys you just mentioned, are they part of that or do they make, make it through that filter? I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. With, with Leal, I haven't watched a ton of them, but he's another one of those versatile guys that I think probably fits better as a three tech. He can maybe play some five tech for you. Um, I, I don't think that he's going to be um, like the big thing with Leal. He's, he's just so athletic. It's, it's almost hard to find a spot for him. And he probably fits better if you're just saying, Hey, one gap penetrate and, and be more of that three tech. Um, Perry and Winfrey, I'm probably the same on in terms of three tech. Uh, and honestly, like watching his tape, you don't see what you saw at the senior bowl when you watch his tape. Like he's fun to watch. He's, he's good. But he, I thought I was going to go into it like, All right, this is like a first round guy for sure after the senior bowl. Go back and watch the tape and like, eh, it's there, but it just flashes. Um, so like, yeah, those guys are tough. Whenever you're talking about guys who are, are one gapping versus two gapping, you're it, it's hard to find that, especially whenever you're watching in college. And, and this goes for just about every every position, honestly. One of the toughest things to do when you're scouting is to watch a guy in college and see him doing exactly what he's going to be doing in the NFL. Yep. And I mean, you're going to, especially when you're talking about the defensive line, there's going to be guys who are playing the zero who definitely shouldn't be playing the zero. They should be one gapping as a three, as a three tech at all at all over for sure. And, and I was just watching uh, Cincinnati's defensive tackle today, Curtis Brooks, they line him up at nose tackle and you can easily, it's like, he's, he's really good, fast hands, quick off the ball. And he gets into centers really quickly, but you can definitely tell like this guy is a, a penetrator. You put him at three tech. He does not need to be two gapping the center right now. Um, put him at three tech and let him get through, through, uh, through the gap. But, yeah, it, it's tough. You you find guys that sort of fit the scheme, and especially when you're talking about day three, you're not going to really want to bring in a guy who, like, if your scheme is more of the two-gapping scheme up front, 
you're not really going to bring in a guy who is more of the one gapping type because then he's probably not going to hold up. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's definitely guys that, you know, whenever you're looking at that range, they're probably not going to be on the board because at this point you're looking for guys who are going to fit the scheme and kind of fill out the roster. Um, but there's, yeah, there's, there's talent here for sure to be able to play that five tech, a Zachary Carter. I think we kind of, kind of yeah. fit in as that, as that five tech as well, maybe more of that versatile type of guy as well. So yeah, there's definitely guys out there that, that can play it, but yeah, whenever you're looking at, at the back end of the draft, you're looking for a scheme for sure. As an aside, how do you feel about paying big money to a nose tackle? And I'm not trying to like get you on record blasting DJ Jones. I have to ask this because I like, I was critical of the DJ Jones signing just because I feel like you t- like he was drafted in the sixth round. And again, you don't draft that guy in the sixth round thinking he's going to be DJ Jones from day one, but it feels like you can, the NFL has shown over time, you can usually find pretty okay run defenders without spending $30 million. So like, that's my biggest critique of that move is I feel like in terms of resource allocation, they, they could have done more to add like a premier pass rusher and then gone cheap at nose tackle in my mind, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. When you're looking at, at nose tackles, you're, if you're going to pay big money, you want to pay big money to a guy who's a three down player. Like yeah. if you're going to pay money to a guy who's only going to play on first and second down, honestly, like all right, I'll give him, you know, a few million dollars to come in and, and kind of be a plug. But unless he's really getting to the passer that much, like you're probably not going to, at least you wouldn't want to give that much money to a guy like that, especially with, with how much the, the NFL is changing into a passing league. You want guys on the defensive side of the ball who can rush the passer and can, can make plays against the pass. So for me, yeah, you're, you're probably wanting to pay a guy who is going to be able to play on all three downs and can play against the run and the pass. And if he's not that kind of guy, I'm probably not going to pay him a ton. And I know, and again, not to DJ Jones did have some pressures last year. Again, my concern is that he was kind of the guy picking up cleanup pressures because Bosa Armstead, the other guys. And I wonder that because the Broncos don't have the same kind of pass rush, it won't happen. So then you start to wonder, did did they maybe pay too much for a guy that is going to be just a plug for them? Hopefully not. Hopefully, you know, hopefully he's good. But uh, safety is another one of those weird positions. And I'm glad you mentioned this with fifth rounders earlier because Caden Stearns was the fifth rounder last year. Came in, basically became the starting nickel because Patrick Zertan moved outside. At one point, they they didn't have that guy at nickel. So Caden Stearns came in, did pretty good. Ended up playing one game as a starter against the Lions. Uh, granted, that was the COVID game. You guys were missing like half your team, honestly. <laughs> uh, but he looked good. Like he, I thought he looked pretty good as the starting safety. Enough that I would be willing to bet him, bet on him in a competition. Um, but he was a fifth round pick, so it's one of those things. Like Peyton would be irresponsible to count on him being a good starter. Yep. Uh, so you kind of almost have to continue to look at safeties. Uh, because the Broncos are going to probably continue the too high system that Fangio used, what they're looking at at safety is a little bit different than some other teams in the league, just because a lot, like I know the Dan Quinn Cowboys, it's you're, you're looking at a single high and you're looking at essentially a linebacker too high. You're not doing that. You're looking for a guy who can do a little bit of everything. Yep. Are there any guys that kind of jump out to you that kind of fit that? Yeah. Especially if you're looking day two, I like a guy like Brian cook, another Cincinnati guy here. We're just talking about Cincinnati, but he's a versatile guy probably fits more of that strong safety mold. So you like him to kind of roll down and maybe play the box or play against the run, 
but definitely a guy who can play the two high. He can, he basically is interchangeable. Like you can play him at free. You can play him at strong. Um, I I don't love him as a single high guy. So you put him in that two high system. He has the range. He has enough awareness out there um, to be able to make plays and kind of range around a little bit enough smarts um, to kind of play both positions needs to improve the instincts a little bit and kind of take some better angles. But overall, I think some of that gets mitigated whenever you play that two high scheme. Uh, So for him, I, I think he's a guy that can come in good tackler um, plays, plays with some good physicality, which I always love from, from safeties. Okay. So guys that, you know, who are going to come down, they're going to play the run game. They're going to be able to come down and they want to get in the action. Like, you know, you watch a lot of safeties, especially coming out of college, like you just want to see, full, see more from them, you know, whenever they're filling run lanes. Uh, and this is a guy you don't have to worry about that. He's going to be able to play just about every level of the field um, and, and be solid, you know, against the run in the pass. He's a guy that I, he is on my list of watch. Uh, Cause we just, we just, again, my high report, we just went back and did our like updated post Russell Wilson watch list to like finish our scouting reports. Yeah. I, I took basically all the Cincinnati guys I could because I have Cincinnati a lot of their defense. tape. Yep. <laughs> I have a lot of their tape and I, and I wanted the excuse to watch it. So, yep. uh, and again, safety is one of those spots too, where guys sometimes surprise you early. So again, um, the last one that is, is very much like this is running back. Uh, the Broncos, as of now, have not retained Melvin Gordon. Uh, the number that has been floated around by Bron- like local media, Broncos media types, is $4 million. If the Broncos are going to pay Melvin Gordon $4 million, I would rather they draft a rookie. Me personally. And I have nothing against Melvin Gordon. I just think that Melvin Gordon has hit the 1,500 carry mark. He's going to be a backup to Javante Williams anyway at this point you're better off getting that cost controlled rookie for four years to me than spending $4 million to have to go into this draft next year with the same issue Um, that, or just trust Mike Boone a little bit more. They signed him last year. Um, But running back is one of those positions where you don't draft a running back generally to redshirt. You draft a running back to be able to play immediately because they don't last long. And again, like that, you know, I, I hope they do. Like, I'm not trying to, you know, bash on it by any means, but realistically, NFL history has shown that if there's one position that honestly should be able to go from high school to the pros, it's probably running back because as soon as they're starting to take hits, it's starting to wear them down. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And and another thing too, is whenever you're looking at that, like, honestly, there's not that much to have to, to learn in an NFL playbook. Like that's probably one of those positions that you have to learn the least. So you can kind of plug them in there uh, and start getting used to it out of them right away. The Broncos moving to more outside zone. Again, I say this, so I, I, this is like a conflicted thing for me when I've looked at the numbers for Nathaniel Hackett's offense with Buffalo Jacksonville, and then like the Packers offense, they still run inside zone more than they run outside zone. And I think that's real, you know, realistic. They're probably going to run more inside zone than outside zone in Denver Hackett. And basically every interview where he talks about the running game, he talks about outside zone. So it's clearly like an idea that like philosophically, that's what they're aiming to do. That was like one of my big questions about Javante Williams coming out last year, just because like the big knock and you and I have talked about this a good bit, the knock on him was vision. Um, and it shows up on his rookie tape. Like there are decisions where you can see that he is making like he's zeroed in like tunnel vision on what he has to do. He doesn't see other moving parts around him, which leads to some tackles for loss, stuff like that. Or he leaves meat on the bone a little bit. So I'm a little bit concerned about that with outside zone. Is that should I be? Do you think he's going to be okay? I think he's going to be okay because like, obviously you're looking at the strengths with him and it was, he 
He's a big and strong dude. He's breaking tackles and he's a difference maker as like a pass protector. Like all those are, are things you kind of want to look for whenever you're going to have a, a, a solid running back anyway. And then obviously the vision, that's a critical factor for us. But vision is a big thing for a running back. But whenever you look at Javante Williams, you have to realize he, he's not a guy that played four full seasons in college of, you know, 300 snaps, uh, or, you know, 300 rushes a, a season. He's a guy that barely rushed the ball 350 times in his entire career. Um, so to me, I think a lot of it is development and he just hasn't had the development, hasn't had the reps to kind of see that. Um, and I think, you know, again, it, it showed up last year, which I think we all, all knew that it probably yep. would. And I think we're hoping that as he gets more reps, a lot of that other stuff can kind of help, you know, along with the the vision as well. And again, you know, it just, you, you got your rookie year out of the way now try and, and kind of move on and develop from there. And hopefully we see a little bit more of a step up from that. But again, you know, he's basically last year was essentially like a second season, 350 snaps in a, in a college season. You see that from 20 different running backs in just one season. So um, last year essentially was his second year. So I'll be optimistic for you there and, and say that this is a, just kind of another extension of, of his development. And I think it's going to get better this year. Assuming that they do not, you know, rest on Mike Boone as the backup. Are, are there backs in this class that you like in like day? Like I, I'm going to probably lose my mind if the Broncos take a back at 64, but if the Broncos take a back at, you know, 64 versus, you know, somewhere on day three, are there backs that kind of jump out at you as real good fits for what it looks like the Broncos are going to do on offense? Yeah. I, uh, you know, I like this back class. I think there's a lot of good running backs in this class. We have a lot of guys that are, are ranked as, you know, starting running backs. A lot of guys that could possibly be that. Um, for me, one of the guys I like BJ Baylor from Oregon state. Uh, I actually watched Jamar Jefferson who came out last year, actually went to the Lions, seventh rounder played a little bit. Um, but I like Baylor better. Uh, he may like he may not fit the outside zone scheme a ton. But he's more of a downhill runner. Like he's he's going to get the ball and he's going to get downhill quickly. Um, but one thing he does have is he finds the open holes. He finds them quickly, uh, and he he has the burst to get through you know the open holes and get into the second level. Mm -hmm. So for me, he's a he's a, a guy I watched. I was like, all right, I watched Jefferson last year. This guy had a bunch of numbers. Let's check him out. And I was pleasantly surprised, and I, I liked him a lot. Um, I, you know, has some elusiveness to him out, out in, uh, the open field, some slipperiness to him, um, still developing as a receiver for me, especially in, you know, as a receiver and in pass pro. Um, but I think he has the, tra the traits to develop that. Um, but as a runner, I, you know, if you're trying to, to say inside zone and tell him, get the ball and try to get upfield as quick as you can. Um, I, I, that's a guy that I like, you know, even, even though he is a little bit impatient at times, he, you know, <laughs> trying to get up, upfield a little too quickly, but. Outside of that, like, you know, I, I liked what he did. Um, but there's another guy, too, Isaiah Pacheco from Rutgers. Uh, I was watching Bo Melton, and all of a sudden, Pacheco just kept flashing. Just he runs so angry. And, and this is a class where I like a lot of running backs, and there's a lot of guys who run hard and run angry, but Pacheco runs so angry. It's ridiculous. Like, whenever you're watching, he's, he's just so fun to watch. He's, I think, a late-round back where he's going to fight to be able to make a roster. Like he has enough skill there that he can back up on all three downs. He's going to be one of those change of pace guys who he doesn't have a ton of size. He's more that 5'10, 215 type of guy, but he's going to be able to take hits. He's going to be able to get up the field and he's going to be able to deliver a blow as well. So a couple of guys that I think are going to be in that day three discussion that 
I mean, I probably like a little bit more than, than some other guys. And I think that they sort of fit the scheme. Well, I appreciate you mentioning it too, just because, and again, I have, this is not confirmed, but I have heard from, from buddies who it seems like the Broncos plan in terms of like right after the draft is basically try and bring in like 20 plus a draft of free agents to just fill out as much depth as they can, you know, across the roster to fill. And I know a lot of teams do that, but I think the Broncos, again, based on what I'm hearing is that they're going to like do a mass appeal, just bring in as many as they can and yeah. kind of just see what sticks. Yeah. I mean, like I said before, like this is the year to do that. Like there's going to be enough depth that, you know, just try to bring in anybody and everybody just to, to try and get some competition, especially at the back end of your roster. I want to, and I, again, I know I'm keeping you. I want to touch on one thing with linebacker that I have to ask you about, because I know you and I talked about Baron Browning a good bit last year. The word out of Denver is that the Broncos are looking to move Baron Browning to edge or like outside uh, for OTAs. I have heard two sides of this publicly. The Broncos are saying like, they're going to dabble in it. They're going to let him try it. You know, see what he does best. What I have heard from a buddy who would know uh, based on like, you know, conversations he's had, I guess, is that the Broncos are going to essentially, they're going to try him at edge because they believe that that puts him in like attack mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's OTAs first, you know, to see where, how it goes and then kind of go from there. But based on what I've heard, it doesn't sound like they're going to try and bounce him back and forth. And that helped me because that is my biggest concern uh, with Baron Browning with, again, you and I have talked about this a lot, the mental processing stuff. The one thing that kind of helped me with that is that it felt like to me, Ohio state was bouncing him so much that that hurt his mental processing development just because he didn't have a chance to settle into like the nuance of a single position. So I was afraid that the Broncos were going to be doing that as well. Uh, as far as moving him to edge full time though, I do have questions just because like, I, I, I felt like he was doing okay at it at Ohio state, but I, I don't know if he has necessarily like the, the, the overall play strength plus like the bend to be a plus edge rusher. So like, I don't know if you're just putting him out there to basically be like your best rotational coverage outside linebacker. Cause that's like kind of what it feels like it's happening. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the case you're trying to get, you know, maybe they're just trying to get more depth at, at the edge position and try to get a little bit more down there and, and maybe free up more of the linebacker position to get to bring some guys into that spot. But yeah, to me, you know, I, I feel okay at either spot, as long as you're leaving him at one of the spots. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting for sure. Is there any guys that you want to mention just as sleepers that might make sense for Denver that kind of come off to you? Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of guys that, that were definitely fun to watch this year, at least, you know, so far. Uh, I, I mentioned a little bit, um, Marcus Jones, uh, from Houston earlier. Yeah. He's, he's fun to watch. He's a guy that he kind of gave me some Elijah Molden vibes from last year. Um, again, I, I said that, that I Houston's, Molden. Molden, Molden's fun. Um, and I think they're, they're very comparable. I think Molden's a little bit more reactive and Jones is just faster. Um, and I think Jones has like that dynamic return ability, um, and a guy that you put him in the slot, like he played a lot on the outside, played in the slot, played at safety, but you put him in the slot. He has that reactive athleticism to stay with just about anybody. And he's a guy that he is just relentless and in pursuit to find the ball. Like if you watch them against Texas tech, Ezukama takes a 50 yard play down the sideline and he flies from the other side of the field knocks them out at the one yard line and then they fumble in the next play. It, it's one of the craziest plays that I've seen just running basically like 50, 60 yards across the field at a dying at diagonal and, and basically knocks them out. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's a crazy play. And, and whenever I watched 
Jones, I watched, like, obviously you're watching the American conference, but, you know, you saw him against Ezukama against Texas Tech. You saw him against the SMU guys with, uh, you know, Roberson and Gray. Then you saw him against Josh Johnson at Tulsa. You saw him against Calvin Austin at, at Memphis. You saw him against all these guys who are going to be those mid to late round guys this year. Um, just some fun battles. And I, I think if you got him, you know, on day two uh, to kind of fill that slot need, I think he would be a lot of fun to watch. Plus the Broncos need a returner and he is an electric returner. (laughs) He is a fun returner to watch too. Yep. Uh, Unrelated to the draft. I have to ask just before I actually let you go. Do you think the Russell Wilson trade makes the Broncos a realistic, maybe not the favorite, obviously, but are they now a realistic Super Bowl contender? Because I know last year when you and I talked about this, we both kind of fell on. If everything goes right, like it could happen. Uh, but I don't, I think both you and I agreed that it was like, if everything goes right, it could happen. Uh, whereas now it kind of, to me, and again, this might be my orange glasses. It almost feels like they're in the conversation. They, they can't screw it up. Like, you know, they can't screw it up between now and then, but I feel like AFC is loaded, but they have a chance. Yeah, they, they definitely have a chance. I think they're definitely in the conversation. I know last year, yeah, we definitely talked about, you know, if everything's going right and, and I obviously a lot of things did not go right last year. And I think, you know, it, it definitely didn't, didn't help. We talked about two years ago. It was just like the injuries piled up so much. There's no way that can happen again. And it basically and, did happen again. Yep. Um, so it, it's kind of to hard to think that, you know, hard to think that way, but yeah, now you're looking at a guy, you know, they were basically a, a quarterback away and now you have Russell Wilson. Now you're hoping that everybody comes back and is stay, able to stay healthy. Um, and you use this draft to kind of fill in a couple pieces that you have some holes at. And, you know, I mean, I think that's just about every team that's in the discussion is you have a solid team, you have a solid core. If you have a good quarterback, you're in a good spot, but then you use the draft. Now that we're kind of past free agency, you use the draft to kind of fill in the holes. And I think if everyone does that, and it's, it's tough with the Broncos because you don't have a pick till 64, but this is one of those classes where I, I think that's going to be okay. I think getting those picks on day two, are just, you know, unless you have a pick in the top 10, you're not going to get that one, you know, stud that there is in this class probably, but you're going to get a lot of depth, uh, you know, from this class. So I think it's going to be a a position that if he drafts well with, you know, eight, 10 picks, I think you're going to be in a good good position to make something happen. What do you hope the Lions do it too? I went in thinking that I wanted Thibodeau. I watched Hutchinson, not sure what I would see and liked Hutchinson even more. And I thought all the talk was going to be, okay, Hutchinson, it is. I I came to to love that position. And now all of a sudden Hutchinson's looking like he's going one and it looks like Malik Willis is going to go two. And I've been saying for months that the only thing I don't want them to do is take a quarterback at two. Um, so I, you know, I want Hutchinson. I want Thibodeau. Uh, if they take Hamilton, I think I'm okay with it. Uh, I would probably be okay if they go quarterback at 32, if one of those guys are around just to develop or something. But yeah. I think there's too much, there's too many needs for the Lions to be able to focus in on quarterback whenever you need an edge rusher, you need secondary players, you need receivers. Um, there's just a lot of other positions that I think you can get from this class. I think uh, PFF's Tage Seth mentioned this that like with the way quarterback movement is starting to creep up, you know, around the league drafting a quarterback when you don't have the rest of the roster ready to me feels like you're, you're laying a trap for your fan base because like by the time that guy is a premier player, 
he may well be trying to force his way out of town and then all of a sudden you're just restarting anyway yeah uh, so i hope i i think like again like this is back when the broncos looked like they might be drafting a quarterback from this class i hate this class like in terms of quarterbacks like i am vehemently opposed to drafting any of them in the first round uh, but I thought like, if they're going to do it, God help me, I guess Malik Willis at least makes sense because the tools you can, you can buy the idea yeah. until you turn on the tape. Uh, but yeah, I, I hope you guys don't do that either. Just because I want the lines to be good. I, I was really excited about what you guys did last year. Yeah. I, I was good with everything that happened last year, except for lo- or winning that last game and getting the second pick instead of the first yeah. pick. But, you know, I, I knew the roster wasn't going to be good. I wanted to, honestly, I wanted to lose as many Every games game. as possible, yep. but be competitive. And yep. I think that they were pretty competitive. And I know that this year is going to be similar. They're, they, the roster's still not there, but a lot of the, the money came off the books in certain areas. So there's a lot to kind of improve on. They had a great draft last year, have another great draft this year, get a little bit better and still stay competitive. And then I think in 2023, they have a shot. Um, but yeah, the, the only way I'm okay with a quarterback with the first pick is if they trade back. And honestly, I don't want to trade back because I, I feel guys, there's good enough guys at two to make that, that play right there. So agreed. it's, 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 it'll be interesting. I, I think everything that was talked about a month ago has completely changed, but I mean, that happens every year. There's always the smoke screens and, and stuff around this time anyway. So Kyle Hamilton's this is, this, slow now. I, I, <laughs> He's he's really good. He's I'll I'll uh, throw it out there. He's one of our seven O's. I'll I'll throw uh, that little nugget out there. He's pretty good. And on that note, again, guys, we mentioned at the beginning of the show when the website drops, I will be referencing it probably left and right. Uh, you guys should obviously check it out as well. Uh, yeah, like I I don't know if I can do a better job of selling it <laughs> until I've read it, but like, I promise you, I will be referencing it a shit ton. Um, because again, you guys are like my go-to reference for the draft. So thank you so much for joining me guys. Again, if you do not follow Nathan on Twitter, go do it. He is at and coop draft. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate it. Always, always fun being on and yeah, with the website again, I wish it was here, but it's, uh, it'll be here in the coming days. I wish I had a, a website address to, to give to everybody, but yeah, keep, uh, uh, you know, keep tabs on our, our social media. It'll be all over that uh, once we get it going public. And uh, definitely some, still some things that we're ironing out, but we're going to try and get out there as quick as possible and, and let everyone see it before the draft. Looking forward to it. So Appreciate it, Joe.